0: Welcome to the Charbook Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mahara. All right. Today's podcast is titled, In Panini We Trust. So just to give you a brief background, uh, this podcast is about a PhD dissertation uh, written by my guest today, Dr. Rishi Raj Popat. Uh, he published this um, if I remember, at least online published 15 December 2022. The dissertation was called In Panini We Trust Discovering the Algorithm for Rule Conflict Resolution in the Astridhyayi. And uh, uh, for uh, unlike many people, Rishi must have spoken to, I actually read his PhD dissertation. It took me a little bit of time, it took a lot of effort, but I did read it and I reached out to Rishi. I was like, Yep. I want you to come on the podcast and, uh, and I talk uh, and talk about it. So now that I have explained everything, uh, Rishi, welcome, to the, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Kushal. Thank you for reading the thesis.
0: So Rishi, this is your first time on the podcast. Just a si request. Uh, <clears throat> tell everybody a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this this entire journey of uh, discovering Panini? Because it's fascinating, right? Panini, ke upar log PhD dissertation. So maybe you can tell everyone about yourself and how you got into this entire journey of writing a dissertation on this thing.
1: Sure. So um, my name is Rishi Raj Popat. As As you know, I was born and brought up in Mumbai. I went to school here. I did my uh, undergrad studies also in Mumbai at St. Xavier's, which is in South Bombay. And I did economics there actually. So this 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 journey towards Parani was a somewhat unplanned one, if you will. I started off uh, with Sanskrit uh, in high school, actually class eight. I did Sanskrit for three years, eight to ten. And then in class 11, I joined uh, uh, PACE in Andheri, actually, uh, to prepare for the IIT JEE, since I used to be good at math. And uh, I soon realized that I did not want to be an engineer, despite enjoying math, even in class 11. So then I switched back to, to doing other things, basically. And I did Sanskrit in class 12 as well. Uh, in class 12, I, I think I got the highest score in two, two subjects, Maths and Sanskrit. So I was really confused actually at that point about where my, where my heart really lies or what I should do. But considering the fact that it's a lot more viable to do something in mathematics, uh, in terms of you know, employability and, and job prospects, I ended up doing econ uh, at Xavier's, as I said. But during those three years of my undergrad, I was also studying uh, panelling outside of college with a guru who lived not very far from where I do. So I got very fortunate. Uh, At no charge, she taught me Panini with great zeal, enthusiasm and interest. And that uh, interest was absolutely infectious. And that is what brought me to think about Panini. Um, I've always been interested in patterns and in, in just really crystallizing information. This is the sort of thing I enjoy. And so when I started exploring Pantanian derivations with my teacher, I realized that lots of things did not add up, did not make sense. And there were too many sources of information that we were dealing with when we were performing these derivations, which we call prakriya in Sanskrit and Hindi. So that's that's how I realized that there is work to be done here. My teacher was uh, very humble, very generous. So she would answer some of my questions, but at times she would have no answers. And she would encourage me to actually go find those answers. So that's how the journey began. Towards the end of my undergrad, I realized that I think, you know, I should, I should devote all my energy to, to, to finding some of these answers. And I wanted to do a master's, which was, uh, how do I put it? A master's, which was research intensive or research focused. So I did not want to go to a lot of taught classes as it were on philosophy, religion, and, you know, logic and this and that. I wanted to focus on Parnini. And that's why I chose such a course, uh, uh, which was at Oxford. That was a one-year master's, after which I did my, I started my PhD at Cambridge. But I, I was always, I was always determined to basically work on this subject. That
0: is precisely why I started the master's in the first place. All right, fair enough. Now, uh, now, Rishi, let's get uh, straight into, as they say, the meat uh, uh, of the subject. So what exactly... Uh, did you discover while you were doing your research and in your dissertation and and now i'm not going to cut you off because uh, i know you have to speak now for at least 15 20 25 minutes non-stop so take your time uh, i am not arnab goswami where i'll be like no mr rajpopat you listen to me i'm not going to do that with you uh, so i want you to Simplify it, and this is my request you may struggle. Karna Dissertation ke time pe. Every time you mention a technical thing, I have to go and search it. I have to try and understand it. So my humble request to you is for the just for the viewers and the listeners of the podcast: uh, when you go take us through this journey of explaining your work, try to simplify it at moments wherever possible. And now I hand it over to you.
1: Thank you. I'll I'll do my best to really present a very very simple, non-jargony picture. Um, So what's the goal of Parni's grammar? I mean, there's been a huge debate about what the goal of Parni's grammar is, but I'll tell you what I uh, think the goal of it is. The goal is to, Parni's goal when he wrote the Ashtadhyay was to construct this machine. And what this machine essentially does is it helps you derive, in quotes, um, all the words of Sanskrit, the version of Sanskrit that he was familiar with and also the older version, which is Vedic. So all the words of Sanskrit as the output of the machine, when the input is roots or bases, so nominal stems, verbal roots, that kind of thing, and the suffix. So base and suffix, Suffix, we call it because it is added to the right hand side. You know, in in Indo Indo-European classical languages, is added on the right hand side. So we call it a suffix. So base plus a suffix. Let's let's take an example from English because I've I've realized over the course of speaking with journalists that this is very helpful. Uh, let's take the root define, right, which is to describe the essential characteristic of something, and add the affix Asian to it. Asian is also found in termination, uh, cancellation, right, beautification, and so on and so forth. So our goal is to derive a noun clearly. Uh, but, but it's not just the juxtaposition of these two uh, items. It's not definition. The, the, out, the correct output is definition. So as your viewers will have noticed, there are certain sound changes Puchel, that take place. And they're mostly in this in this uh, in this instance, it's the vowels that are changing, not the consonants as much. Okay, so it's defined plus definition, right? And what do you do to, to uh, you? How does how does Panini think? So he says, okay, let's make one change at a time, step by step, and at each step, one rule applies, changes one vowel at a time, and. Through this series of steps, the idea is that Parni's machine is a, should be able to derive the grammatically correct output definition without any human intervention. That is the essential quality of a machine. You teach it certain things, and then it's supposed to do that consistently without our interfering with its functioning. Right. So this is, as you can imagine, a very ambitious way of looking at the Ashtadhyay, because then everything has to work and fall in place. Right. Um, so, so now, now the question that, that is related to my dissertation is, and that, that crops up very often when you're constructing these Sanskrit words using Parni's grammar. Of course, Parni is not deriving English words like definition. He is doing the same thing for Sanskrit words. Uh, if you want to, so at, at any step of this, this, what we call derivation, if two rules are simultaneously applicable, or for that matter, even more than two rules. Uh, which of these rules should be applied at that step? That is a question. And colloquially and for the purpose of this conversation, shall I will call it rule conflict, okay, irrespective of the, the, the technical inaccuracies of the term, uh, this is widely used in secondary literature. And it's a simple term because the two rules are essentially in conflict with each other. Only one can win, only one can apply. So the one that applies wins. That's the idea of this idiom. Um, so which of these two rules should apply? Now, I always look at, the, I've always looked at the Ashtadhyayi, right from the time I began studying it, as, as a text where Parani tells us what is necessary. Because for me, the idea that someone would write about 3985 or so rules, about 4,000 rules, and leave certain things out and not mention them is a bit weird, okay? Um, so So I was always looking for instructions about how to do things from Panini rather than from later commentators. Now, Panini gives us only one meta rule in his grammar, 142 Viprati Shede Param to deal with this problem of rule conflict. Um, before we go into that, let me just introduce very quickly the three heroes of our story, if you will. The first is Panini, who wrote around 500 BC. The uh, Then around 300 BC, you have Katyayana who wrote Vartikas, which are short comments on, on Pani's grammar. And then the third hero of our story is Patanjali. Well, there are many heroes because it's a long tradition, but we're going to talk about these three. So I'll, I'll mention only these for now. Patanjali wrote the Mahabhashya. Now we actually have received Katyayana's Vartikas only through Patanjali's Mahabhashya, So they don't exist as an independent document, right? Um, so these are the three people. So one hundred fifty, so three, uh, 500 BC first is Panini, around 300 BC is Katya and 150 BC is Patanjali. So please remember that. Um, okay, now Panini taught us one rule 142 Viprati Shede paramkarya. Now I'll tell you the existing traditional interpretation, okay, without getting into too many details. According to the tradition, viprati shede param karyam right so param means that rule which comes later in the serial order of the ashtadhyay so any rule uh uh n plus x where x is a positive integer defeats any rule n or put simply uh 21 defeats 20 right so rule number 22 defeats rule number 21 and so on and so forth And how do they define the term Viprati sheda? This is equally, if not more interesting. They say Viprati sheda means any conflict between two rules which are equally strong or put differently between two rules of equal strength, right? So the the question that I ask is, how do you know that Viprati Shedha means this? Because very simply put, if you just look at Viprati Shedha from the perspective of Sanskrit grammar, it simply means mutual opposition or mutual conflict uh right prati and then sheda so uh mutual some somewhat you know just opposing each other that's the idea that's that's what the word means so how does this idea of equal strength come in right so that's the question but the tradition somehow thinks it's it's conflict between equal strength so it introduces a completely new category to the to the to our understanding of vipratisheda and then you might wonder what the hell is this uh, equal strength you know so the tradition says uh, any pair of rules which are not of unequal strength are to be called pairs of equal strength right so <laughs> it's, it's, it's not obvious in fact it's completely counterintuitive so you've introduced a new category and then you define that category as everything that is not unequal strength right uh, and it only gets weird because w- w- now what the question is what the hell is unequal strength Right. That is, that's something we are bound to ask. So then the tradition says, if one rule, if, if in a rule pair, if one rule is Nitya and the other Anitya, then this is a pair of unequal strengths and the Nitya rule is stronger. And then it says, oh, also if one rule is Antaranga and the other is bahiranga, then ahir, uh, then Antaranga is stronger. And that, that's also an unequal strength pair. And it's, and it says the same thing about Niravakasha and Savakasha and Utsarga and Apavada as well. Now, where did it find all this information? Well, the tradition argues that Pani has left hints here and there. You know? And then on the basis of that, they have developed these tools. But unfortunately, all these tools uh, are again, there are always qualifications, you know. So there are there's this genre of literature called paribhasha literature or meta-rule literature, which tells you how the system works. And there are tens of paribhashas which further give you instructions about how to understand these tools and use them. And, Sometimes this is Nitya, but oh, sometimes this cannot be called Nitya and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the matter gets so complicated, you know, um, the, these meta rules are, can, oh, the funny thing is these meta rules can also be a Nitya sometimes. By that they mean sometimes these meta rules are not applicable. So it's really, it's very complicated. Um, so I, uh, I'll also give you some examples of how these tools are, are really tricky to use. One of the tools is Niravakasha and Savakasha. Niravakasha essentially means that rule, which is not applicable anywhere else, should apply here because otherwise Panini would not have written it in the first place. So the idea is you, I mean, ideally you should go through every single derivation in the grammar to see if it's applicable elsewhere or not, right? And what if there is a conflict over there? (laughs) Then you have to look at all the other derivations, which includes the current derivation, to see if it's applicable elsewhere. So this tool is actually practically useless. Right. And and, and, uh, and so how how does the tradition do it? It says, oh, the commentator says so. So we're supposed to assume that it's Niravakasha. Right. This is one tool. Then uh, there's another. T- uh, oh, OK. So let, I, I, I won't waste too much time talking about the tools. But the, the other thing is, if all these tools uh, don't really are not useful in solving that conflict, then you go to 142. Because then you assume it's equal strength and then you use 142. That's the idea. But if even that doesn't work, Kushal, then you, then you fall back on another tool, which is Purva Vipratishiddha, which is just a, a number of statements where Katyayana, the second hero of our story, says uh, in this case, it's not the rule that comes later in the serial order that wins, but the rule that comes earlier in the serial order that wins. And that's it. And the tradition, without batting an eyelid, just uses these kinds of statements. You know as justifications for for choosing a certain rule over another so uh, in fact the third hero of our story patanjali goes so far as to say on on multiple instances actually that para the term para in viprati shede paramkarya means ishta and ishta is just desirable so essentially just do whatever is appropriate or desirable or whatever helps you get the correct answer so so i mean uh, the the tradition essentially as you can as you can understand from what i've said so far has added so much new stuff has piled on so many things onto this 142 it's remarkable uh, that the tradition does two things here i think uh, if we talk about the philosophy of a discipline uh, it's firstly really significantly uh, modifying the epistemology of it so what is what constitutes the core knowledge of the discipline Right. Is it just the sutras of the Ashtadhyayi or can you fall back on the sutras and then Katyayanas observations and then the Bhashya and then the Kashika and uh, the Paribhasha sutras and the Kaumudi and so on and so forth. Right. So that's a question to ask. And I think we should only fall back on Parani's grammar and nothing else that was written after it. Everything else written after should be used for confirmatory purposes rather than uh, as, as you know. In fact, one of the things I should mention here is the tradition actually argues that the second hero Kātyāyana is more authoritative than Pāṇini, the first hero, and Patanjali is more authoritative than Kātyāyana. Uh, so, the, so the author that comes later in time is more authoritative than his predecessor, which is also counterintuitive for me because the original guy wrote his text and possibly died before the second guy could study it. So, so. But why does the tradition do this? Because the tradition argues, or I think, believes that, um, how do I put this, that all three, these are three Muni. So this is one trinity of the Sanskrit grammarians. And the author who came later happened to already know what the previous one wrote and also added new things. Uh, Now, he might have added new things which are useful. But does he essentially necessarily understand the system and its functioning better? I, I mean, I don't think we should assume that, right? So this is again some uh, another place where I have I have a difference of opinion with the tradition. Uh, so so I've told you about Para Ishta, I've told you these things. So I, I I when I reached Cambridge, I decided that look, if I'm going to spend my time uh, doing this rather than taking the consultancy job which I could have after you know after completing my bachelor's in economics, then I have to be honest to myself. Right, and to the field, and really try to find a solution which Panini must have had in mind. Because if Panini wanted to teach us equal strength, unequal strength, Nitya, Anitya, Antaranga, Bahiranga, Saukasha, Anaukasha, he would have told us clearly that these are things to be used. So I thought we should be faithful to Panini and try to find a solution which is simple because the grammar is so elegantly written. That for me, frankly, it was always very difficult to believe that all these things panini wanted actually for us to use, you know, that's something that I could never digest. So with that suspicion, I started my PhD and I said, I'm, I'm going to try to find a solution which, be- which is based only on Pani's grammar. And so I started, I said, start, and of course there was only one rule, one, four, two, with which I had, I, 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 I could work, you know. So I started uh performing essentially many derivations in my notebook okay and i did that for the first nine or so months uh, of the phd and then i decided to take a month-long break not having made much uh, headway uh thereafter begrudgingly i went back and when i did i started flipping pages of the, the book on the top of the pile and uh, I, I i noticed a pattern you know so when i when i noticed that pattern i said here it's always the rule that is applicable to the right hand side part of the word that wins. And I said, now, look, somehow this pattern has to be read back into one of Panini's rules for us to truly treat the system as a closed one. Right. And which other rule could I read it back into, but one for two. And so I tried to do that. So it did not, it did not take me too long to realize that Param here means right hand side. So, so, I, I was, I felt confident because this pattern was repeating itself in many derivations. So I felt confident, but I was still, I was still unsure. And I was still thinking about it, you know, I spent many days doing that. Then it struck me that there's another way to confirm this of, 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 uh, there's another obvious way to confirm this rather, which is. Pāṇini has used the term para on many occasions in the Ashtadhyay. This is not the only occasion when he uses this term. So let's just go dig them all out and see what he means when he uses para elsewhere. So I did that, and lo and behold, uh, well, first let me tell you there are two there are two ways in which Pāṇini uses the term para in the Ashtadhyay. One is where he just mentions it as a as a as a uh, as an entry in the lexicon of the language. So, for example, he says, uh, let me give you an example from English. For example, I'm trying to teach you a rule in English where I say when you are using uh, uh, when you when you're using the verbs dance, sing, eat, uh, jump, add this suffix, that kind of thing. So, so he's saying when a, when you're using the terms para, purva, jnana, etc., just just hypothetically, you add this suffix. So there, it's a it's an entry in the lexicon of the language. That's one way of using the term. But the other is the technical way of using the term, which is what we're interested in. And in my thesis in Appendix F, I've given an entire list of, of both non technical and technical uses of the term in the Astadhyayi, And I've given all the technical ones as well, as I said. In each of those instances, Panini uses the term para to mean right inside. And it is at that point that I felt confident and certain that my interpretation was indeed correct. And that is when I realized that I don't want to be a consultant for sure. And I really want to invest my energies, you know, uh, in this, spend the next couple of years seriously uh, looking at the problem. Also, try, because because the thing is, once you are able to unlock one very important uh, door, if you will, many other doors open themselves. So the weeks thereafter was spent really pouring over books and derivations and and trying to solve related problems. And one thing led to another, and then I was able to, in the next couple of years, write all of this up and come up with a coherent solution, you know, which, which uh, took other rules into account as well. Uh, as uh, if, if you remember, I've discussed in chapters four and five of my thesis. Um, so yeah, I think I'll, I'll rest my case there for now. But, but let me add one more thing, because I mentioned epistemology, uh, and then I promised to stop the other thing that varny does which uh, sorry that the tradition does is not only is it is it trying to change the epistemology of the discipline it's also changing the ontology because ontology is what the discipline is made of what the categories are right and in vyakarana if you are you know smuggling so many new categories into the system that's going to impact also remember the relationships between the existing categories and the newly introduced categories what i think happened is Uh, the tradition might have tried to apply 142 to all instances of rule conflict and might have realized that they're getting the wrong answer very often. So then I think what the tradition did very cleverly uh, is they tried to reduce the jurisdiction of 142 to minimize the the possibility of getting the wrong answer. So they took a lot of things out of the scope of 142 and said, uh all these things they developed tools for that and they said all these things we can solve without using 142 and here one rule is to be treated as stronger than the other and they said whatever we cannot solve uh, you know without uh, with any of these tools we will just let 142 take care of it so the remainder goes to 142 basically and then again even over there when 142 fails they fall back on purva vipratisheda which is just saying, oh, here is the opposite of what 142 teaches, and that's it. That's used as a justification to perform operations by the tradition. And as a last resort, you can simply say, para means ishta, do as you like, do what's desirable. So I think, I think, this, is how, I think this is how the, the traditional uh, uh, understanding of 142 has come to be what it is.
0: Here's my first question to you. Now, when it... Obviously, uh, as as you have explained, the essence is about 142 and the word para. Now... Why only rely on what Panini said? Is because from what I have tried to understand is uh, you have uh, used the occasions where Panini has used the word para, but what about the usage of the word itself in even when it comes to traditional scholarship in, in level two, level three later on? Why not rely on them too? On or if you test it, then do they also use it as the as you say right hand side?
1: So what I can tell you. Kushal is, I have no problem in relying on, on other sources. If they help me understand the system better, but if they're going to make it more complicated, then I'm not going to rely on those sources, is the idea. So it's not as though I have a personal enmity with any of these later authors, right? Uh, but, but to answer your question, uh, Katyayana does mention both possibilities, actually. Uh, he says Parak and mean Sutra para the rule that comes later, and also it can mean shabda para, the sound that is produced later. And we happen to write left to right, you know, when we write Sanskrit. So that's what that's what I mean by right hand side. But strictly speaking, this is not about this is not right hand side. I mean, if we were writing from right to left, it would have meant left hand side, you know. So when I say right hand side, I actually mean the sound that is produced later or the sound that comes later. That's the idea. So but uh, but anyway, Katyayana does mention both possibilities. Uh in his grammar, and unfortunately he runs with the wrong one. Uh and I, I have I'm very curious actually. I've been thinking very much about why he does that. Now I know I've mentioned in the thesis, and uh, I will say I will say this here. I also explained why the tradition might have misinterpreted para. Because if everywhere else para means right hand side, how come the tradition did not assume that here also it means right hand side? So what happens is there is the para means that which comes after. Uh, But does it mean that but so in 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 Sanskrit and its antonym is purva which is that which comes before or that which precedes the other. Para is that which comes after or follows the other. The question is in what context? Is it in the context of the serial order of rules of the Ashtadhyayi or going from left to right when you write things down? You know that was the question. Um, Now now there is another rule in the ashtadhyayi which is eight to one purvatra siddham purvatra asiddham so looking from above any rule that comes later starting eight to one is to be treated as suspended or not existent that's that rule now there panini uses purva uh, which is the antonym of para and there notice that the 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 Pāṇini is trying to teach us the relationship between two rules based on the serial order. So I think it is from there that this, this confusion arose. But also notice over there, Pāṇini uses the suffix tra because he says purvatra. So I, I notice that whenever he wants to talk about the relationship between two rules, as they lie in the serial order of the text, he adds the suffix tra. So he does he says purvatra siddham. Similarly, he says asidhava So he says atra with respect to any rule taught here. Any other rule taught in this section is to be treated as Asiddhavat. That is 6 for 22. So but but, but but essentially it is from this Purvatra that I think the confusion arose in the first place. And so once again to re- re- reiterate my response to what you've asked, uh, there is no problem in accepting what later scholars say. But if their interpretation runs counter to how panini uses the term elsewhere and if that does not help us simplify the derivation system if it makes us accept so, so many new categories and concepts which panini has not taught us then 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 the question arises why accept
0: it okay again uh, then another curious question now um, I, i'm not giving you uh, because see i'm not an expert on language or grammar per se or linguistics but i can ask you as a whole uh, as a thinker who's just looking at it from an outsider's perspective ideas tend to build on previous systems right uh, technologies or systems tend to build on previous scholarship and then they refine it further and they make it further so why would in this case katayana not be a better update in that sense because eventually even if you are doing this right you are also building on a system so so why why so when you say it leads to better results uh in it leads to better results. In what sense? Uh,
1: thank you. That's a good question. What I mean is, if you're getting too many incorrect answers at the end of the derivation using the traditional method, which is anyway so complex and frankly very difficult to navigate, then that means something is wrong. But you've raised a very good point, actually, and I will use an analogy uh, from from comp- coding, right, from computer science to 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 drive home my point. So yes, as traditions build over time, uh, new good ideas might come in. Uh, but remember, we're not commenting on the Bhagavad Gita, we're commenting on a highly technical system, uh, which we have to understand very well, if we are to truly contribute to it productively, you cannot contribute to something which you don't understand fully. Right? Now, and remember, Katya is, has never said that I am the authority. He's a very open minded thinker, who is telling us of all these multiple possibilities. Actually, if you read his it, Vartika or Kushal, it's the sort of notes that you make, you know, when you're reading something. You say, oh, this is also possible. That's also possible. Uh, maybe that's how it is, actually. But and then he corrects himself. Oh, no, no, but that can't be the case. It's, it's, it's a very intelligent, curious student of Parni's grammar talking to himself. Okay? So, so, no, he does not claim that he's an authority. Nowhere does he argue that he should be made into a Bhagwan. Right and worshipped this is this is the doing of the later grammarians and of of, 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 uh, of grammarians who come centuries later actually. Uh, but now going back to the analogy from coding uh, imagine you wrote you wrote code uh, for the for the face for the home page of a website. Now what are the what are the things you have to consider you you have to make sure that when someone clicks on home for example, your your front page is the director's photo with a director's welcome message or something like that then uh, next to it you have uh, you know our centers next to that on the home page you've got members of staff next to that activities next to that contact us you know and then you have to make sure the drop downs work fine you have to make sure that when you click on contact us it takes you to the to your gmail and and it lets you type out an email so you you get what i'm saying right uh, you're, you're trying to you're trying to build the homepage of a website. You've written code, but then you realize uh, before the submission uh, to your boss or to the company that in fact when you click on contact us, it does not take you as you had desired to to your Gmail. And when you click on uh, activities, instead it 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 takes you to the homepage, which uh, it, it takes you to the pay- web page which says which gives the address or contact us. Right? So you realize there are lots of problems. So the homepage is not uh, appropriately functional. So what do you do as a coder? You go back to your code, right? And you try to find the bugs because clearly you have, or or something is in an infinite loop sometimes. So those kinds of things you have to fix. Uh, And what do you do to fix those? You look for the bugs in your code, right? Now think about it this way. The tradition, instead of fixing bugs in its code, started writing new code in addition to the existing code written by Parini. And and that's where the problem arises. There is no problem in improving a system. But there is a problem when you add so much new code to a system which you have not properly understood. right? And in many respects, the tradition gives us very good, helpful information about the Ashtadhyay. It's not as though the tradition has not understood the Ashtadhyay at all. That is not a claim that I make. What I am saying is that it misunderstood a very important part of the system as a result of which it had to add several new things onto the system even after which the system doesn't work you see uh, let's talk about it like this let's think about because because uh, in the last two centuries there's been a serious conversation in the West about the scientific method what it can what it what are the essential components of it what it entails to do sci- things scientifically and you probably know better than I do that Karl Popper's talked about falsifiability, which is, I think, one of the, which is the tenet that I that that is my favorite anyway. Uh, so how do you how do you falsify something? Uh, you have to draw certain quantitative or qualitative limits to your system, and say if this if things don't work the way these rules say, then there is a problem in the system. But for the tradition, the thing is they keep adding new Meta rules every time there is a problem, so they find quick localized fixes, and then those meta rules are so, some. So the tradition says they some are anitya, which means that sometimes these meta rules are not applicable. Well, then, how is it a meta rule even in the first place? You know, worth our attention. So the traditional method is simply not falsifiable because every time there is a problem, you come up with a new explanation, or you simply say, you know, uh, in this case, actually, it's the other one that. We, So and so if you were interpreting poetry and you came up with multiple interpretations, that would be okay because a reader reads the text uh, in a way that helps him or her. But this is an enterprise of theoretical linguistics. Here is an ambitious grammarian twenty five hundred years ago trying to construct a grammatical derivational machine, you know. So, 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 yes, I mean, everyone who, in fact, I will say this. There are certain words that might not have existed during Panini's time, which did exist during Katayana's time. So, in his Vartikas, he discusses possibilities of deriving them using Panini's existing rules or he adds certain instructions. And that's all good and welcome. But that does not give anyone, and P- Katayana never claims that that gives him the license to misinterpret or interfere with Panini's system. As I said, this is a very curious, very intellectually uh, sincere, honest uh, scholar. Trying to figure it out. It, so we can't blame him for the errors. You know, it is later scholars who seek to worship him who deserve blame, if at all. Uh, because these are, I mean, Patanjali is also an open-minded man. Imagine when he says para means ishta, he's saying, you know, do whatever is desirable. Perhaps he says it in a moment of frustration. Because often, when you're doing your research, when you're trying to figure something out, you won't give up. You know. And that is Patanjali's way, or that probably is one of Patanjali's students because remember when Patanjali writes the Mahabhasya, it's, it's a dialogue between multiple entities and we don't know who says what, you know, so so perhaps it's one of his students saying it. So these are the early commentators, Katyan and Patanjali, are open-minded thinkers really trying to understand this system and considering all possibilities. So I, I think it's it's really... We're doing them great injustice by converting in them into Bhagwan, because wherever you call someone Bhagwan, what you're doing is you're uh, you're putting them on a pedestal, and then it then it becomes a lot more difficult for later scholars to engage as dispassionately as as, is a, as 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 scholar ideally should with the work of those Bhagwans, you know. Uh, so so th- that
0: that's what I think. All right, now I want to focus on uh, no strawmans, but two specific uh, critiques of your work because I think they are the only two ones that are worth discussing. but there are two specific uh, critiques which I did read. They are reviews. And they were critical of your work. One was published on twenty third December two thousand twenty two by Doctor Peter M Sharf. Uh, he <clears throat> he did a eleven page. Uh, it was a eleven page uh, PDF document. And another one was uh, by uh, Doctor English Borders, and uh, he his was I think around a twenty page word doc or something. Now. Uh, one particular thing in Nilesh's critique that I actually want to start, uh, in fact, in his closing remarks, uh, because I, I think he gives a good suggestion here. This is just my view. Uh, he says that, uh, you know, he he recommends that you do exhaustive testing. What he says, uh, from what I have understood, is you've tested around uh, forty or fifty words. And correct me if I am wrong and if I am uh, misunderstanding, but he says you 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 should do uh, around a hundred thousand word testing to be more confident. And it could be maybe done with uh, softwares now. So so can you comment on that now?
1: Sure. So, you're right, these are two technical rebuttals, and I will respond to them. Um, I think charity should begin at home. <laughs> so, Nilesh should, do, Nilesh, should, uh, the, uh, Nilesh should ideally test uh, one lakh words using 100,000 words using the traditional method. But as I said, that's not a very productive enterprise because whenever there's a problem, the traditions come up with tens, if not hundreds, of meta rules to solve that problem you know in a in a parallel system of vyakarana which is called katantra 50% of all paribhashas that were written in this genre that i mentioned paribhasha literature deal with rule conflict so the, i mean as i said it, the, any system of information has to be a closed one so even if you are piling onto parani system where do you draw the line where is the full stop how many paribhashas Are you going to be able to teach uh, using software? Okay, let's talk about software. Are you going to be able to teach the software every single Paribhasha? No, some of them are Anitya. How are you going to to tell the computer that the Para rule always wins? Except in these cases, the other rule wins. I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to always make exceptions to what you're teaching the computer, then what's the point of it? Right? Uh, So... I, I welcome the idea that, we, forget one lakh. we should test every single word possible. Uh, th- I don't disagree with that, you know, but uh, why why has it not been done for the tradition? And that's the meat of the matter. It cannot be done for the tradition. It's, a not, it's not a falsifiable approach. And that is precisely why I started the PhD in the first place. So that is exactly what all this is about. Now, this is not to argue that we cannot use, uh, we cannot just write by hand and verify. That's also possible. But the computer, you know, the idea is that it's free of human error. Now, this is not to suggest that it's easy to teach the whole study to the computer because there are other challenges, but I certainly think that, uh, this is, this is the only way, uh, uh I mean, this interpretation of 142 is the only one we have where we don't have to teach the computer hundreds of other things, right? So it, it's all, it's all good when you say that you should test one. Like I say, we should t- test uh, millions, you know? but the the question is have you tried to do it for the tradition and uh, can you do it for the tradition falsifiability i keep coming back to that
0: okay one more point nilesh wrote in his thesis was he he says what would an early grammarian or linguist have done in order to interpret the Ashtodai intuitively, with negligible access to any commentary on the text and with limited or no guidance of a teacher well-versed in the Ashtodai, a scholar would have taken notes for himself in order to comprehend, analyze and corroborate? Basically, he's talking about uh, <clears throat> uh, the premise that you are taking. I think he's challenging the premise in that case. So so how would you respond to that? that?
1: See, the the con- contemporary traditional approach, I have to, and the operative word here is contemporary Kushal, because a tradition is a dynamic one. It has evolved a lot in the past. It doesn't evolve as much today, dare I add, but such has not been the state of the tradition in the past. Uh, and when you read Katya Vartikas, this is exactly the sort of picture you get of him. So he has some information about the text, some other information he has surmised by studying it. And there are certain questions that he is unable to answer, which, believe you me, it takes a very honest and humble, uh, self-effacing author to admit. So what is Gattayana saying when he says that uh, in certain cases, the rule that comes earlier in the serial order wins? He's actually listing exceptions to what Parani has taught us. So so this is a man of great integrity, you know. Uh, But uh, when you start worshipping something, then it becomes impossible to consider these possibilities and i think we should keep keep the two realms of worship and scholarship separate to the extent possible and uh, uh, so so i say what i see in panis uh, sorry i say what i see in katayanas vartikas you see uh, what are the grounds of his objection that is the question uh, does he not see katayana asking questions Uh, as as a curious student would. I think we should be, see, this is a problem. Uh, If you start, if you assume, and if you insist that everyone accept the idea that everything that these early scholars wrote is accurate, correct, perfect. Then you are closing the doors to a serious intellectual inquiry into the question at hand. So let's not do that. Uh, There's another thing I have read both rebuttals. As, As I said, I'm in the process of responding to them actually. I am putting together a document. One of the the things he says is, uh, you know, that uh, this has somehow hurt or, or uh, you know, Rishi should have been more careful about the words he used because this has hurt the sentiments of uh, millions of Hindus or something along along those lines. But this is not a question of sentiments. And certainly I did not set out to hurt anyone's sentiments, but uh, I cannot stop speaking what I find in my research, because it hurts someone's sentiments, you know. So I think that, and this is also, unfortunately, I must say, given the, given how polarized the current climate is, be it about political issues or other issues, I think it's very irresponsible to, to, to say that you heard, this person has hurt someone's sentiments. It's a dog whistle. And you know what happens when, when a certain person accuses someone else of hurting the sentiments of any community, be it Hindus or any other, or Indians in any other community. So I think we should, we should restrict ourselves to scholarship and not sentiments. And we should, we should not, I think we should not occupy ourselves with the questions of honor, dignity, respect. Uh, I, I can, all I can say is I, I have great respect for the tradition. And, uh, and yet, that does not stop me from disagreeing. And this is the beauty of the tradition, actually. As I said, if you look at the evolution of the tradition, it is full of disagreements uh, among scholars. So, if anything, I'm only continuing in the line of the tradition. Uh, I, I'm only continuing this academic dialogue where disagreement is the norm and not the exception. Let me add one more thing. Uh, Patanjali often disagrees with Katayana. And he says, so he is also an optimizer in his own way. He says this need not be said because Katayana often says things which Patanjali, thinks are not necessary. You know? And, you, and so, so this is Patanjali's own version of the Occam's Razor. He says this need not be said. This is not necessary. Let's minimize uh, what we say, right? He says no So this is my way of saying all these things that that these scholars have said about co- rule conflict need not be said because patya uh, because pat, parini has given us a self sufficient system. So uh, I think it's really important to separate, as I said, uh, spiritual. For example, I worship Hanumanji. That is my Devata. that's my personal favorite. In, in, my, in my family, we have we worship the whole Hindu pantheon as it were. Uh, my mom likes a, another deity uh, more and so on and so forth. But the idea is if Hanumanji had written a grammar, I would have switched to Krishna Bhagavan. Right? Why? Because, uh, or I would not have switched to Krishna Bhagwan even, because for me, it's okay to to disagree with my deity. That's the beauty of my faith, you know? so so these questions of 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 hurting sentiments and respect i think we should put them on the side and really think about let let our spiritual life actually aid our scientific uh, endeavors rather than interfere
0: with it uh, uh, to be fair to nilesh uh, rishi he, 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 i'm just quoting i mean he ends the the uh, the critique or the review by Saying, I'd like to thank Dr. Rishi Raj Popat for reaching out to me personally and requesting me to give the feedback on this thesis. It cannot be denied that my understanding of many concepts became much stronger after reading the thesis, for which I wholeheartedly thank Dr. Rishi Raj Popat and wish him all the best in his future endeavours. But I just have one more question. Uh, uh, this is from Sha- Sharf's uh, t- uh, review. So he says uh, the redefinition of the term anger. Uh, is an additional fault. Now, uh, can you explain what is he trying to say there?
1: Uh, So, in chapter 4, Kushal, I can't unfortunately jump into the details uh, without your knowing a certain amount of Panini. But uh, he's referring to chapter 4 where I I present my interpretation of certain rules which involve Anga. The term Anga is the central term there. So, that's what he's talking about.
0: Fair enough. So basically enough. it is a difference between uh, your interpretation and uh, his interpretation is what I have understood.
1: Yeah, and he tends to agree with the traditional interpretation. Yes.
0: Okay, now I know you have to go at 8 o'clock. So I just have, we have 5-7 minutes left. So I just wanted to, I'm going to ask you the standard questions now, which I know a lot of people will be asking. Like, So, look, the reason I only focused on the on the rebuttals very he, here is because they focused on in a very academic way they they take take your hypothesis like uh, I even saw <clears throat> the video of uh, Nilesh and he even there he's just focusing on the points but there has been you know like but at the end of the day how how does one have a discourse around this? How does one have, you were right when you said, you know, we have had a very robust culture of scholars disagreeing with each other. Like people don't realize, man, people have not read Swami and Saraswati Satyarth Prakash. Look at the latter chapters of the Satyarth Prakash where Swami and Saraswati vehemently degrees, uh, disagrees with Bodh Dharma, Jain Dharma and, and uh, Islam and Christianity. And he gives his tika. He 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 is critical in the Satyarth Prakash, uh, but that's the way forward now. Uh, so how do you deal with uh, with the critique? critique look i'm not technically qualified to say you're right or wrong i i i read your thesis i tried to understand it i read the rebuttals i tried to understand them but i'm not going to put my neck out here and give a judgment call on what you're doing because that's not my job it's not my qualification similarly i don't expect people to do that in my field which is philosophy there i will speak up but the point is that how do we create this culture okay that uh, where we do have these kinds of exchanges
1: Oh, that's a tough one Kushal. <laughs> if only I had a magic portion which you could all drink and <laughs> and make this possible, but I will say this um you have to understand I'm going to get it a little bit into the sort of socio political situation or the cultural situation that we are in today we are almost seventy five years uh, uh into in what we call independence right from the british empire um even during even during Mughal rule and and even prior in, in previous Muslim rule uh, uh, periods where the Muslims ruled India, uh, there was not so, there wasn't the same degree of replacement of our traditional knowledge systems as there was as there was during the British period. So during the British period, what happens is within a very short span of time, maybe within a couple of decades, you have the English system completely replacing both in terms of disseminating, producing and disseminating knowledge, but also in terms of facilitating entry into the economy, completely replacing the traditional system. Uh, And you, you notice that, that until then you produce scholars like Nagesha, for example, in the Vyakaran tradition, who, who really, really sort of very vehemently disagree with some of their predecessors and contemporaries. Uh, and, And so, so so new thought is being produced what happens when you sideline the, the native traditions of our country is uh, then the same dare i say quality of intellect will not be attracted by those native traditions because the, a lot of our, our our bright minds of which we have very many i'm proud to say as an indian uh, will move towards uh, medicine engineering law for good reason you see because uh you know criticize it all you will. The fact is you do choose your educational paths uh as as a practical person based on on whether or not those will uh, you know will will be able to put food on your table right so so that's I think that's what's happened. The other thing is we we tend to think about we tend to think about our past. Our, our, our ancient past as something to be preserved or or revived or or you know sort of tenaciously held on to but i'm not sure if that's the right way to look at it we must certainly take from our past what is useful uh, but we whenever you try to re rekindle something rekindle as it were the 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 exhausted lamp or the ex- sorry the extinguished lamp, Uh, I think you should look at it as rekindling something that is dynamic. So you can't just hold on to everything that was written in the past and worship it and say, no, no, all the things that were written in the past were great and right and amazing. Uh, There were valuable things there, but we have to keep thinking about those things and challenging those things as well. So, So the idea of any civilizational revival has to be one that is dynamic and not static because anything that is static becomes stagnant, it dies, you know we have to look at our past as as a river that keeps shaping us the, the rocks you know that constitute the riverbed of the river uh, because otherwise it will become a, a a a swamp you know and and that's not what we want it to be so that is my appeal and that is what I think uh, we live we live in a time when we have when we really uh, as as I'm proud to say that as Indians, we've really changed ourselves on many accounts in many ways, you know, over the last 200, 300 years. So I think we should continue uh, to march forward in that spirit, if you will, and really, really try to think critically, think critically uh, without without attaching honor. Let the khapatchayat worry about honor and respect and disrespect, you know. We don't have to. So that is my message. At the end of the day, we have very much from our past about which we are all incredibly proud for very good reason. But holding on to it is going to, and and, and saying all of that was great and correct, is only going to suffocate and kill it. Here, the idea is that we bring it back to life, you know, and and revive it and do it in the spirit of, of academic inquiry and through the lens of critical, rational thinking. And good, good, good scholarly debate and engagement. And on, uh, uh, one of the things that Nilesh says in his review, which I find a bit uh, absurd, is that uh, you know you can get moksha if you do vyakarana. So I will end by saying that these things should not be a part of reviews. Those may be your personal opinions, however funny I think those might be. But but that we should we should try to really separate the two, you know, and uh, and. And do scholarship in a way that is scholarly. Yeah.
0: So so when do you intend to uh, give the rebuttal to the two reviews? Uh, uh, on a proper I, date? I mean, I, I, I would to like to. It. Sure. So I
1: can't put a date on it, but I will do it ASAP, basically. And I will definitely send you a copy, Kushal.
0: Thank, thank you. I look forward to reading it. Uh, I can assure you one thing, unlike others, I padunga, learn uh, Rishi, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors and uh, uh, you keep uh, working and uh, keep learning and uh, I wish you nothing but success and happiness.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. See you. Thank you.
0: Bye. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up. But uh, before wrapping it up, just my, my thoughts before we close. Uh, I would highly recommend you guys. I know it's it's very technical. It's tedious. But if you if you want to have an opinion on something, right, you should read things. So what did I do? It took me time when when I got the thesis of Rishi. I, I spent some time. I remember more than a month and a half ago, I told Rishi, I'm reading your thesis. We will discuss on the podcast. And then we couldn't find a date. Rishi was traveling. I was uh, busy in my own thing, but I did read it. Then I found out about the two rebuttals to his thesis. I sat down, I read those. I even saw a couple of other videos. One was by Nilesh Ji, where he explained the document in a video form. Then another one was Nitin Nindamishra Ji. And he was, uh, again, using Nilesh and Peter Sharf as the basis. So the point is that these kinds of discussions should happen in a mature way. You know, giving names, ad hominem, this should not happen uh, that if you are a true hindu and you believe in this tradition you know you should you should actually have a robust discussion and and i hope we continue this tradition we need to challenge traditional concepts or we need to go back to traditional concepts whenever we see the evidence so the I don't know what the final word on this discussion should be, but we should all celebrate that there are people like Rishi out there who are trying to push boundaries and trying to do scholarly work. Uh, so, so go go read his work, try to support his work. And as far as I'm concerned, you can subscribe to the Char work podcast, like this video, leave a comment. And if you want to support the podcast, please become a member on YouTube or Patreon or Fanmo or buy the podcast merch. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste, take care, bye-bye.